We should start the show. Yeah. 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 Let's start the show. Can't reference that show anymore. Good evening and welcome to Progressively Horrified. The show where we hold horror to standards it absolutely never agreed to. <laughs> Good evening and welcome to Progressively Horrified, the podcast where we hold horror to progressive standards it never agreed to. Tonight. We're talking about a movie that may have issues with pacing. It may have issues with racism. It may have issues with film quality that haven't been resolved yet. But certainly it didn't have an issue with casting these fucked up angels. It's The Prophecy. I am your host, Jeremy Whitley. And with me tonight, I have a panel of cinephiles and cenobites. First, they're here to challenge the sexy werewolf, sexy vampire binary. My co-host, Ben Kahn. Ben, how are you tonight? Oh, The Prophecy. The acting, mesmerizing. The story decisions? baffling the politics dodgy i think we've got ourselves a progressively horrified classic on our hands here folks oh absolutely buckle the fuck up and with us as well the cinnamon roll of Cenobites, our co-host emily martin emily how are you doing and this is my hole it's made for me <laughs> yeah this movie is a disaster and i love it oh my god the fact that we got like that our main character is that this is now the third movie I've seen Casey Jones's actor in following Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles one and three. Yeah, so he was not. He was no. not in two. Nope. So we'll say this is written and directed by Gregory Wyden. It could only possibly have been written and directed by the same person to have for this sort of pacing to survive into the movie itself. It stars. Not in order of appearance, but in order of how fucking amazing they are. Uh, Christopher Walken, Viggo Mortensen, and everybody else. Uh, no, Virginia Madsen is no, here. Honestly, honestly, though. Uh, Elias Conius, who uh, sounds like a Roman soldier, but is actually Casey Jones from the uh, original Ninja Turtles live action, if you're familiar, along with a lot of other stuff. The most Brooklyn man to ever grace Canada. Yes. <laughs> Bless. We've also got Eric Stoltz. And we've did not got... like Eric Stoltz in this movie. No. Did, did not like Simon the Pedophile Angel one little bit. Not great. And he's also got Masters of the Universe hair, which doesn't really help. Yeah. And we got uh, Mariah Shining Dove in here, just really rounding out just this feeling of moderate racism that goes around all of the Native American stuff that's in this movie. When, oh god this movie does Can end we, with a lot of like native americans sitting very still and chanting while angels like fucking rip people's hearts out and stuff and this yeah let's let's start with that this movie has native representation question mark question mark yeah it's a big question mark i did do a like a tiny itty bitty bit of research on what this is supposed to be talking about in terms of the dna or Navajo as it would be at the time in film but the I mean it is not it is never explicit the only reason that I am went to Navajo is because I looked up a hand trembler which is a thing it's a real thing they could only I mean, be more stereotypically Native American just like big bold letters Native American like no no, they don't really talk about the tribe. They don't really like. They don't even call it a tribe. See... They call it a clan. 
Yeah. Uh, they they couldn't be more Native that American if they were talking to a willow tree and singing about a river. Like it's just <laughs> I don't know, man. It's really I, can, I feel like the guy I feel like the guy who said the enemy ghost is gone got robbed at the Oscars. Yeah. I mean this 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 little girl who plays like the you know, the, the little girl who is, is okay being possessed the little girl. the movie is Turtle doing Mary. some fucking heavy lifting. Oh my okay. god. And I will say, as incredible as fucking Christopher Walken is as incredible as Viggo Mortensen is my favorite character in the whole movie is Colonel Mary Colonel <laughs> Mary is racist up. racist Korean War general in a little girl's body is this, that could have been the whole movie just this fucking war criminal in this adorable little girl's body well the, and that's the thing about this movie is that there was a lot there are a lot of cool There's ideas. There's so much. It's and can we, okay, so and can we little appreciate for the first like half hour of the movie. Yeah. This little girl fucking hats off to this tiny child actress who got a note from a director. Okay, so you're possessed by the ghost of a Korean war criminal. I'm sorry, I phrased that wrong. A war criminal from the Korean war, not a war a, criminal who a is white, Korean. Yes. A white war criminal. Too small Native American child. Can you tell we're recording this right after NYCC and I'm a little tired? I mean, I had I wasn't even at NYCC and I was a little tired, but that's just because I was like spending the whole day trying to recap this movie. Yeah, I mean, people who've given this like adult actors who have given the note, you're being possessed by a war criminal's ghost, wouldn't know what the fuck to do. This little girl fucking nails it. The, With the dead eyes and everything. Her, her delivery. Thousand yard stare as she describes just fucking beheading a man. Like she is incredible. She is less believable as a child than she is as a child possessed by a Korean war criminal. Right? Like, oh, you're so right. Oh my god. Like when she was doing her child acting, she's very child acty as a as a kid, whereas she just like says things very child actory, like she could be playing oh, Anakin yeah. Skywalker. Um <laughs> And I'm Mary like, oh, not great. Everything. Yeah, and then she she turns, she gets possessed by an evil racist, and then she just delivers these lines with such fucking gravitas that I was just like, oh my god, like this little girl is creepy. Uh, we so appreciate we should... this man who kept a scrapbook of just newspaper articles accusing him of human sacrifices. Yeah, he just he just kept all of the evidence against him. I'm going to let Emily do the, like, big recap. I do want to say, like, to sort of set this up, this movie doesn't tell you what it's about until about an hour and a half in. Is it? That basically, this movie is about how there's not just one war in heaven, but there's two wars in heaven. And then after Lucifer got thrown out, the other angels led by Gabriel got jealous of man and so also staged a rebellion and it's, I guess, sort of been in between for all this time. And they really want to beat God. And to do it, they've decided that the only way to do it is to, like, find this soul of this dude who definitely is the most evil man to ever live. And is definitely going to hell. And they're going to steal it first so that this guy can help them fight the other angels and beat God. But also, Lucifer wants that. And also, God's side is like, we can't let them do that. And sends a pretty mediocre angel of their own to try and stop it. So yeah. it's like Gabriel and his like 
we don't even see any of the rest of his army. It's just him and his his various. No, we see Gabe. No, we see Gabriel as one guy who gets fucking like yeah thrown out a window and get hit by a car because yeah. that's the level of overkill that lets me know. Oh, I'm in for a treat. Oh yeah, yeah they've, so... they've defined overkill in this movie. So yeah, like Gabriel and his guys, like he also has a demon who's sort of working with him, and then there's Simon who is on the side of heaven who sucks simon is the worst part of this movie and he then really is I eventually hate so much eventually in the last 20 minutes like fucking vigo mortensen shows up as lucifer and fucking steals the movie from like christopher walken has been doing some great work as gabriel throughout this movie everybody who's playing a human in this movie is acting at about a three and christopher walken is acting at a 10 and then Vigo Mortensen shows up at a 15, like, Accurate. in the last, the last <laughs> yeah, 10 minutes like, of this movie. I, you're going to need to change your pants when Vigo Mortensen shows up. Oh, my but God. You're already going in knowing that. Yeah. What I was not prepared for was Christopher Walken's raw sex appeal. Oh, my God. Okay. When, so- he, when he's in the corner, when he's in, like, the fucking morgue, and he, like, he puts his finger to his lips points at the body as he walks away and it just catches on fire fuck christopher walken's never been sexier yeah and he's also like got really bad makeup and really bad hair but he still is just i he's i I feel like all the really bad makeup and bad hair is intentional yeah it's like trying to make him look featureless and angelic and everything it's it's really fascinating but like also he has like Vigo Mortensen's delivery and everything, he's really, really good, really creepy. But Gabriel has the line of the movie, which is he gives this speech and he says, I'm an angel. I kill firstborns while their mamas watch. I turn cities to salt. I even, when I feel like it, rip the souls from little girls. And from now till kingdom come, the only thing you can count on in your existence is never understanding why. And that line, oh, it's just like somebody has that shit tattooed on them. Line yeah. of the movie. <laughs> there that shit gave me chills. That was so good. And the best part of everything, of every scene Christopher Walken is, is that you can never tell to what degree he's going to do a Tom Waits impression that scene. <laughs> yeah, it's getting it lower and lower and lower. It's always Tom Waits, but he always varies how much effort he's putting into it. And I really yes. love... Like it they, starts at like classic Tom Waits and it ends up at like the Black Rider, you know? Yeah. And they, they never give the angels wings in this movie, which I think is a reflection of how little budget they had to make this movie. Yes. But they have both Christopher Walken and Vigo Mortensen perch all over shit. Like they're, you know, like they are winged creatures. And the way, like, all the other, there's so many directing choices in this movie that I'm like, I don't know, man. I don't know what they're going at, for. At but every as stage soon of as this like movie, they, choices this, were being made. Yeah, this this choice to have them like perch on things, I was like, this is perfect. Like right. both of them. Oh, yeah. That's the kind of bad shit fuckery that lets me know. I'm like, yes. Because when Vico Morrison shows me. up as Lucifer an hour and a half into the movie, he is on screen before he says anything. He's just perched in the background in the darkness watching her and then just like del- delivers his first line from the shadows, from the background. And I was like, oh, my God, <laughs> everything about that is so good. Yeah. So I, my thesis statement about this film, I, I'm going to say, yes, it technically not very good. Politically, 
very dicey. However, there are pieces here of a fantastic whole. They're just in a fucked up like, I mean, order. And every, I mean, there's, there's one thing that I can say about movies that are memorable is that the characters are memorable. You have a lot of bit characters in this movie that are, you know, Jeremy says there's the main, the protagonist acts at a three, right? But you have other characters that are also acting at a 10, like fucking Jerry and Rachel. Mm-hmm. Who, yeah. Oh, who are, we, okay. No, the coroner. Can we talk about the, the coroner? Fucking, okay. The coroner who is also like the dude from Seinfeld. Yeah, he's actually in the other in Prophecy too, as well. Like the only actor other than Christopher Walken that carries over in Prophecy like, Three. I haven't seen they that bring, Prophecy Three. They bring coroner asshole coroner back for three of these movies. But he's such a good. I mean, he's so good. Oh, like, he's still he's one of my somebody favorite. For, to pronounce he people does, dead, you know. Look, he does deliver some lines that are just fucking just. We've never had a movie that dealt with intersex issues, but this movie deals with it badly. Oh, well, yeah. Oh, very bad. I mean, somehow worse than Dogma. I don't know. Um, This movie has so much overlap with Dogma. It's fucking crazy. Right. Gabriel has, like, fucking Christopher Walken's has the exact same motivation in this movie as Ben Affleck in Dogma. And I, I do have to point out that fucking... Rachel, who we're introduced to as she's dying in a bed, and she gives the best performance of dying and then being brought back as she's dying in like the most hateful and horrible fashion, which is sort of Gabriel's shtick in this is like calling people back. It's incredible. And like, she's you might miss her in this movie, but it's Amanda Plummer, who yep. is Honey Bunny from yep. Pulp Fiction, who is Vatic in like Star Trek Picard right now. Or I guess until it ended less than a year ago, the Fisher King. <laughs> but she was so great. great. Like, oh, love Amanda. I was so happy when I realized it was Amanda Plummer. Yeah, that was such a delightful surprise. Yeah. So you have you have like these beautiful. It's like you know you're panning for gold here, and yeah, it's mostly dirt, but your nuggets are big, so to speak. But like, let me and Vigo. Where was like where was Vigo in his career at this point? Like what had he done? Like, because he was, he was well basically just Lord playing like sexy, dangerous love interest at this point, if I remember correctly. Like, this he is was in Leatherface. He Rings. was in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre three. I don't think that was before, because I think Texas Chainsaw Massacre three. He's in like he's in so much stuff. Let me let me see what's going on. The Witness, Perfect Murder. Now that's a guy whose life has to be. Before Lord of the Rings and after Lord of the Rings. Crimson Tide, but that also came out the same year as The Prophecy. Carlito's Way. Oh, I guess the, the Leatherface one did come out before this. Yeah, so he was in Leatherface. But yeah, he's so fucking good in this movie. Yeah. He's like, he comes in so late, fucking steals the whole goddamn movie, leaves without explanation. Yeah. Like a boss. I mean, yeah, like, I mean... Leaves literally dragging Christopher Walken behind him. Yes. Yeah. Dragging Christopher Um, Walken's orbs off with him as he goes. Amazing. Never have I seen actors literally eat the scenery like they have in this film. Well, we Um, need something to balance out our main protagonist being like a wannabe Catholic priest turned cop. Have we ever had a protagonist that liked this much boot? I don't know. He's just probably. This dude is authoritarian just by like 
by nature. He doesn't have to do anything in the movie for me to know he is an authoritarian because like, his only paths in life have been Catholic priest and cop. Alicia made fun of this dude throughout because good. he looks good. so much like to her, like Dave from Alvin and the Chipmunks. <laughs> that just like he just hit any gives off that vibe throughout, like he's just like annoyed to be there dealing with these angels. And like he's just his name is Daggett. Thomas Daggett. He is a guy who was trying to be a priest before, like, they decided to show him too was much. Jagged. I just called him Casey yeah. Jones the whole time. Yeah. yeah. And the fact that his fucking name is Thomas and his whole thing is doubting and nobody fucking calls him doubting Thomas in this fucking movie at some point and just drove me insane. I was just yeah. like, oh, I see what they're setting up. And then they didn't do it. And I was like, I don't know if I'm mad or that you didn't do it. <laughs> I saw it coming so far ahead of time. And then we've got like Virginia Madsen playing almost a love interest. Like there's never actually a love story here. No, She's there's no playing chemistry the part whatsoever. where she should be the love interest. And like, I mean, that's fine with me, but also for some reason, just they've, they've got her hair good. dyed black, which is weird to see Virginia Madsen, not blonde. Um, yeah. Cause she was on candy oh, man. That's, that's I was her. I recognize her. Yeah. yeah. That makes She's sense, blonde though. in that. Okay. Yeah, I'm going to, I mean, I'm going to, she was, Does anyone else disappoint that the angel Uziel didn't have like to just come in dual wielding Uzis? Well, it's supposed to be Uziel. Give, give no, you no. In the movie, used. it is Uziel. U z i e l in the credits. You named an angel Uziel. Give him Uzis. You know, I have not die. seen Prophecy Two, but all I needed to see to like look at it and be like, I have to see this at some point. Is that Russell Wong plays Danielle, the angel, in the next one. And uh-huh. I was like, he's an incredibly beautiful dude playing this part. Uh-huh. And they're like, yes, he's a sexy angel who has a, a love child with a human. I was like, go on. Yeah, no, the, the second one, not as, it's, it's still kind of mid, but like, it does still have some great scenes with Gabriel and his like, a wayward souls, you know. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, this movie—it's just great. Like the one good scene that fucking Simon has is when Uziel attacks him, and before Uziel even fucking makes it through the window, Simon is just like, "Ah, danger!" Sends like angel senses tingling, and fucking throws himself at the window first, and just shoulder checks Uziel on his way in midair. Yeah, that's All just right. great. Just man, just inexplicably right. throwing himself across the room. So, so you want to do the recap? Sorry, Emma. Yes. I'll do, it's okay. Let me, let me do the recap. I'll try to be uh, quicker because it's it crazy. jumps around. It's crazy. So Simon introduces us to this movie. He's an angel. He's talking about wars or whatever. But the actual protagonist is Thomas Daggett. We've seen him. He's a Los Angeles detective that failed to become a priest because he had excessive angel battle visions. Uh, random day for Thomas is interrupted by a visit from Simon who invades his home, perches on his furniture, and monologues about his angel visions. And Thomas is like, okay. And then, and even though Thomas is our protagonist, we spend a lot of time with Simon, now who is in his own apartment. And another angel, not quite as pretty as him, shows up. He has no eyes. The new angel has no eyes like Raiden of Mortal Kombat fame. They fight over some kind of MacGuffin. Raiden has eyes? No, he doesn't. According to the song... By the immortals, eternal life. He's got no eyes. Tim has eyes. They're all white and cloudy and lightningy, but they're they're their eyes. Now can she? That's the Mortal Kombat character with no eyes. Because they got stabbed out. And now he's well, a blind swordsman. And this, he's awesome. 
This angel has no eyes. Okay. I mean, you know what? He also doesn't have eternal life, so. Annoying Mortal Kombat nerd away. Yeah, it sounds good. Seriously, though, look at the, check the, check the song. It's the song. This before the lore was really filled out. Anyway, you keep it up? Good. Because, yeah, Simon and, and this new angel fight. Simon impales this angel on broken glass. There's mud his fourth floor window onto a car. And then he is hit by another car. And that's brutal. So Daggett is now officially part of the story as he is brought in to investigate the, the murder of the eyeless man. Or death. Who knows? But they go to the apartment and they find Simon's leftovers, which include... An obituary for a Korean war vet named Hawthorne, Colonel Hawthorne. This is important. The dead body, of course. And Thomas's book that he wrote about angels. What? Meanwhile, in Chimney Rock, Arizona, which Arizona, by the way, is the Florida of California. It's where Californians go to die. Simon shows up at a church to smooch a corpse. Simon shows up at a church to smooch a corpse and hide in a school attic. The teacher of that school, apparently the only teacher at that school, Catherine, who is played by Virginia Madsen, discovers him. And so does one of her students, Mary, the young Navajo question mark girl, played by Mariah Shining, played by Mariah Shining Dove. Back in LA, Daggett's on the case. His more contact Joseph, who is our Seinfeld Steve Hitner, or Heitner, not sure. Another of cinema's most cookie. Mortician characters explains that the eyeless man corpse has more stu- more stuff about it that is indeed whack. Never had eyes. Made of fetus cells. Both male and female sex organs. Weird brands on his neck. Carry around an ancient Bible with extra gospels in it. But Doggett can use his priest detective skills to figure out that the book belongs to an angel named Usiel, who works for Gabriel. Gabriel's kind of b- big deal, and we're about to find out why. Now, here he is, about maybe 20 to 30 minutes into this movie. Gabriel, played by Christopher Walken, busts down the door, literally, immediately shreds, licks, literally, and chews the scenery as he is desperately seeking Simon. Why? Well, we're about to find out. Probably. Eventually. So, Mary has discovered Simon, and so has Catherine. Simon is very creepy and unwell, and Mary decides to feed him like he's a stray kitten, and in return, he decides to hide the soul that he sucked out of the corpse, which is the soul of Colonel Hawthorne, and put it in Mary because he's just following orders, as we find out later. It's gross and rude. I'm not going to say someone should search Gregory Wyden's hard drive, but maybe don't let him around kid actors anymore. But the, yeah, the fact that there was like the face to face action with Simon and Mary wasn't necessary. Yeah, you could just had him go not. fake. You could just have him close up and then some CGI swooshies go between yeah. them. You know, just turn the camera around, like rotate it to where, like, oh, uh, yeah, they're obviously like mouth to mouth on yeah, the other side. Yeah, you don't have side. to see this. Eric Stoltz, look at me. You did not need this paycheck bad enough. Yeah. Yeah. I'm hoping that there was like I hope. A hands in front because it was, you know, the film quality, as Jeremy said, was not great, but there's still too much happening there. So well, again, it's one of the, it's this is not a real thing. It's not like where you're like, oh, nothing I can do. This is just how souls are transferred between humans and angels. That's yeah. real life. Like, no, this was a conscious decision you made. Yeah. You chose for you chose to film it like that. Why? Yeah. I it's it's gross. Yeah. 
and I don't like it. However, and neither does Gabriel, which makes me pretty sympathetic to Gabriel's end here. Gabriel's still in Los Angeles. Get it? Ah, I didn't, but now I do. Okay, cool. Gabriel can't just follow the angel stink. Like, apparently, angels can follow each other's stink around and locate each other. But Simon's too far away. Well, that we so, do get that first scene where he does that, where Christopher Walken is introduced to licking blood off a table. Yeah, he's well, he's, he's got the scent. He's got all that. So he I needs some... I love this movie. <laughs> Gabriel needs some help. Because he doesn't want to drive and he doesn't want to break into the police officer or the police station. So he collects a reluctant mortal on the verge of death, presumably dying of suicide, named Jerry, played by Adam Goldberg. And Jerry doesn't want to do this, but Gabriel has some sort of sway over his soul. So he does. Jerry's in a different fucking Okay, movie. so I think we Yeah, Jerry out... is in Dogma. Yeah, oh, Jerry is very much in Dogma. This is like, a very classic, like, comedy movie villain henchman dynamic they have going on. So, I we don't care with Jerry, but I Gabriel does explain the leverage later with Amanda Plummer, which is that if he doesn't let that they don't obey him, he won't let them fully die and move yeah. on. He will just keep them trapped in an eternally rotting, dying body forever. That is the thing about the first few acts of this movie is that there's not a lot of explicit uh, reason for things that Gabriel does. And I think that's on purpose because, you know, now until kingdom come, you will never know why. But even then, like, it feels like there's something missing. Like there should have been a scene of him collecting Jerry or instead of just being like, because I felt like it was almost missing. Like we cut to like, here is a suicidal guy who was working for Gate for Christopher Walken. Well, they had a scene I where we see Jerry and he's listening to a sad song and he's like on the verge of death in his apartment and all his food is running around him. And then Gabriel shows up and he's like, Hey Jerry. And Jerry's like, Hey Gabriel. Like everybody who, who sees Gabriel on the verge of death recognizes him, which is really interesting. I, okay. I think that's what fucked me up about that was I'm like, Oh, he must be like connected to the supernatural world already. If he's recognizing the angel. I think it's just because Gabriel this My- movie's not really good at making sense, and that's another reason why I love it. If this yeah. is the only movie that Wyden ever directed. He is responsible for writing this and The Highlander and several other, like, backdrafts he also wrote. He wrote uh, some of Tales well. from the Crypt and Space Rangers, but, like, this is the only thing he ever directed, and I, I do think it shows in some spots because... Some of the directing is Russ, and it feels like there are some places where, like, they just didn't get any good footage, and so they use, like, kind of bad, like, helicopter shots in a few spots, and they use, yeah. like, some stuff that definitely feels like the, the cuts are weird. They're spliced together in a weird way. But hey, This, um, this you know. movie kind of reminded me of Nightbreed, in that it felt like <laughs> this was a writer with Call a it. lot of ideas, and... Not so much directing skills. Yeah, a lot of really awesome ideas, but not a lot of like organization of how to present those ideas with a camera. Yeah, it's like there's, yeah, it's. And, you know, we have some performances that kind of tie the whole thing together. That, like. God, do we ever. Yeah. Yeah, Um, I I, I was 
I described the director I watched that as like, it's very much like a B movie that is elevated by a couple of really good performances that, you I, know, puts it in the, puts it in the area where it ends up getting six progressively worse sequels. And, um, yeah. I'm also realizing that the plot being like, oh, we need to get a soul, a human soul who can do what we angels can't to help us win an angel- a celestial war is also the plot of the South Park PSP episode. I am not familiar. Oh, Kenny dies and the angels recruit him. And he's, but he's also really good at this game on PSP, which the angels made to find a general so he can then lead their forces against hell. That sounds like it is um, but, yeah, very but directly referential. and news game. Yes, very yeah. much so. But... And then some other fucked up shit is also going on because it's a South Park episode in the early mid 2000s. Oh, great. I don't um, need to explain the rest of that episode. You can look it up on your own if you want. All right. So Gabriel has recruited Jerry to collect the evidence left in Simon's apartment so they can have a little bit of, I don't know, a lead on where Simon went. Daggett still has the Bible, which he has now translated the the extra gospels to find out what the prophecy the titular prophecy is and it involves this dark soul the angels need the dark soul to help them win their war not against god but against the other angels because god as we find out later is not really part of this whole situation god's like deuces i'm out i'm you guys are just too fucked up for me i can't deal with you anymore so at least that's what is implied does that even count as a twist because i feel like any story that explicitly involves like angels, devils, and hell, and except for with the exception of the preacher comics, kind of usually figures out a way to like shoo God off to the side. Well, Dogma has God come in. Yeah, and, like, that's I think true. She was recording Dog- ironic at this point. Though. Yeah, it's like Ray. Yeah, so she went to been available for this movie. Day. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. ironic that she couldn't. You know. What? Um, You're right. God, Dogma. Oh, I love Dogma. Dogma's so good. Yeah, um, I mean, Erotic was released in 1996. This came out in 95. So she's probably recording the album at this point. Yeah, that was, that's Jack. God Nicole. couldn't be in the movie. So she was too busy getting pissed off at Dave Goulier. All right. It's insane that song's about Dave Goulier. Right. That's just proof like, that God's love the... is. <laughs> and it's about his. Like, Sorry. again, like, think about all the people in Full House. If it was John Stamos, oh, fucking yeah, of course. If it was Bob Saget, eh, sure. But Dave Cooley? <laughs> I'm just glad she cut him out. <laughs> Thank you. All right. Thank you. All right. So, Duggan figures out the prophecy. Gabriel can't rob a police station and break into a morgue at the same time so he goes to the morgue uses his angel powers to find the body of Uziel and he's like I'm sorry bro gives him a little kiss and then sets him on fire and now Daggett's like well shit there's something going on here so I'm gonna go to Chimney Rock because that's where the Hawthorne is I hope you picked that up before because that was mentioned once it's also I, I do want to point out that just in America Chimney Rock is the name of a lot of places that oh. have similar shaped rock formations. Not a great like thing to hang your whole plot on. That somebody's like, you have to go to Chimney Rock. So he's like, well, I guess I chose the right one. Let me, because I would do everything in my power not to go to Arizona. But 
it does check out that this uh, racist Korean War general who uh, is the worst person in the world li- uh, lived in Arizona, though. What I kept yeah. waiting to happen was the reveal that, like, there was something going on. Like, what this guy did, like, what had something to do, like, with the war. Like, that it, was, that it wasn't just racist war crimes. It was like, oh, they were angel zombies, and I had to... And I was in a whole other fucking horror movie. And so it's like, so I'm not, so like that was, so I've been tied to it this whole time. But no, that never happens. He's just like a racist m- murder monster. Yeah. And he's, yeah, he is the prophesied soul he of all of the evil faces. He kept faces like skin in faces his, in his possession, in his human house. After, like, being tried for war crimes and apparently getting off, he continued to have skinned human faces in his house. Like, you can't just buy those on Etsy. Not on Etsy. Not in the 80s. Not having searched for it. Uh, Ed Gein was dead at this point. There's got to be some Hannibal fan sites you can get some fucked up placemats from, I bet. Well, I mean, they're not real. And there might be you might find some that are made out of like sheep or something, but I have no idea, honestly. Anyway, oh, yeah. So, so I'm sorry, go ahead, listeners. I'm so sorry, Emily. I know you're frustrated with me. <laughs> Mil- listeners out there who might be in the military, let us know. Does the military let you keep the tape of your court martial? Dr- like, yeah, yeah, he's got, like, they, he's do got they let you take that his... home, like a home video. He's got real to reels of the filmed evidence against him and his guys of sacrificing and eating, apparently, people, and also real to reel film of his court martial just in his house. I love that it's just yeah. labeled evidence. I like, I, I, my guess is that the military was just so baffled by how to deal with it. They're like, as long as you shut up and go to Arizona. And don't talk to anybody about this. You can have your faces. You can go to Arizona and think about what you've done. Yeah. what You know, we'll give you a discharge. Apparently, you'll still get a fucking veterans memorial and a veterans funeral, which, like, they didn't have to do that. And I think the U.S. military might not be the good guys. I mean, the, yeah. Well, I'm worried words about that. <laughs> so, okay. So, Daniel finally has the chimney rock, but... So does Gabriel, and Jerry is driving him because driving is monkey work. And apparently Simon took public transit. I don't know. I'm not clear on whether Gabriel doesn't drive because he can't or he has just refused to learn how. He can't. If if there's some sort of holy ordinance that keeps him from driving a car, because he says, like, he, he tells the girl later, I can't drive. But he doesn't say whether it's like, because for some reason he's not allowed to, or just he thinks it's beneath him. Like, why Why would I fucking learn to drive? I, I imagine just... it's the similar. Were. Yeah, I kind of saw it as like when Piccolo and Goku learned to drive in that one filler episode. It's like, they don't need to. They can angel teleport. Well, also, we have seen that cars are very effective against angels. So maybe there's like, that car could like run over him twice or something if he looks if he doesn't have, like, a human behind the wheel. Because cars are, have, like, some sort of vendetta against angels. Because if you drop an angel in an alleyway, it will get run over twice. Anyway, so, Gabriel has found his way to Chimney Rock. 
and is digging up as having Jerry dig up Hawthorne's grave, but alas, his soul is in another body. So Gabriel has to find Simon, and he can because his, his nearby angels stink. And they, they find each other and they act a lot and kiss each other about divine vagaries and about how humans suck, etc. And Simon won't tell Gabriel where the soul is. And Simon had to do this because he's following orders, which I think is important to note because what he did, which is assault a child. And Gabriel's like, okay, well, I'll set you on fire for a while and then pull your heart out. So Mary is now very sick with evil possession. Doctors can't fix it. So she tries to Nav traditional Navajo question mark methods i presume this is where they mention the hand trembler which the line here is the doctors couldn't find anything so we talked to the hand trembler to see if she could have a sing which and, and correct me if i'm wrong but this is the only line delivered by the mother right or grandmother whatever she is of, she... of mary is she does not talk notably throughout the movie and then like I think this may have been overdubbed because, like, we're seeing, like, you know, the hand trembler and stuff at work here. So I don't know if they just, like, they, this was the one instance where they felt like this is too much generic Native American spiritualism. We need to give it a name. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I mean, I don't know. Like, it, it did sound like she was, she was actually saying those words, but I don't know. Voice dubbing is pretty good sometimes. But I think, yeah, that was her only full sentence that she spoke in the movie. So anyway, so and the hand trembler, according to the Internet, the bit of research that I did on the Internet is, is sort of a like, we're going to try to figure out what's wrong with you kind of thing. So that's what was going on there. Did the director do any research? I have no idea. So anyway, Daggett is now here in... Chimney Rock, party's in full swing. Mary's reminiscing about war crimes. Simon is literal toast. Hawthorne has been buried twice. Gabriel is perching uncomfortably. But hey, at least we found the evidence of the war crimes, such as the aforementioned faces. And also, good job on Cassie, finding one of the most dead-eyed motherfuckers I've ever seen in cinema. Like, that guy was terrifying. They found a, they found a real G. Gordon Liddy-looking motherfucker. Yeah, that dude was, like, he, when he stared, like, I was uncomfortable. Like, I have seen a lot of people try to stare in a movie and be, like, spooky. But that dude, especially in the, like, film reel where they find him at, like, the wherever with all of the impaled bodies at the site of the whatever massacre that he was war criming at, and the expression on his face of, like, just wide-eyed, like nothing was fucking terrifying. So yeah, he's the one that's going to help Gabriel win over heaven. Yeah, he's, he's, so he's played by Patrick McAllister. He's not credited in the actual credits of the movie because of the type of role and also the fact that Patrick McAllister was in a total of like three other movies and the last one before this was 1974. So <laughs> he was in It's Alive in 1974. So it's, it's yeah, because it's a weird part. They don't credit him as the actor. They just special things credit them in the film. Okay. I see why now. Because, like, he does deserve credit for performance. But, yeah, I can see why I wouldn't want that, like, explicitly on his CV. So after seeing the faces and the videos and stuff, Daggett is like, wow, that was fucked up. So he goes to church. He meets Gabriel there. And Christopher Walken performs all of the gilding off of the altar and then some. And that's where we have, you know, that dent. And you're up a lip way back before you were born. I 
told you a secret. Put my finger there. And I said, shh. Walken is so fucking good in this movie. Yeah. Angels are Italian. Makes sense. Yes. Catholic people. Walken also, Gabriel does this thing throughout the movie of just calling people by their name, even though he doesn't, he shouldn't know their name. I, and I, I like, love that. And they, every time somebody's like, do I know you? How did you know my name was Simmons? I'd be like, ah, you just look like a so-and-so. Like, yeah, he, he I love Thomas. that. You just look like a Thomas. I love that beat. Also, he has yeah, more Italian like angels. I was like, hey, I'm flying over here. <laughs> hey, I'm smiting over here. I'll poke you and I'll fall in your eyes. There you go. Yeah, it was weird that the angels, like, when they were human, they didn't have eyes. Maybe because they, they had too many before they... Well, it's like around. they just they don't have eyes, but then they blink and they get eyes. And Uziel was just like, nah, I'm going to daredevil it. Yeah, Uziel's like, I got my nose. I'm going to follow my nose. Like all those angels have sp- special scent powers. I don't know. All right. So now we're back to Gabriel. We find him uncomfortably soliciting the school children for the Dark Soul, using his angelic presence and full trumpet to gather them around him and earn their trust. Catherine rightly recognizes this as sussy as fuck and disperses the crowd, but not before Gabe gets a lead on Mary. Jerry's still there, although visibly rotting. And Christopher Walken does not get his mouth that close to any of the children. He does look in their mouths while he's like looking for the soul, but all he can find is man. So Mary's family organize a healing ceremony to purge Hawthorne's racist ass spirit from Mary uh, at the old woman's butte and Daggett fills in Catherine on his crazy story about fucked up angels. Catherine then takes Daggett to Gabriel's secret hiding place that she randomly knew about in a local abandoned copper mine, and they see crazy angel war visions. It's all coming together, I guess. And then they finally figure out here that Gabriel's after Mary, but it's too late. He's already there at her grandmother's uh, trailer where they try to get to pick her up. They confront him. They almost get Gabriel'd, and that's where we get our really good line that that Jeremy mentioned earlier about, you know, you'll never know why from here to Kim to come, but you'll never know why tear the souls out of little girls. But Mary shoots Gabriel, buying them time to escape. Uh, they distra- they try to explode Gabriel and Mary's grandma's trailer, but they don't quite finish the job. Fortunately, cool Colonel Hawthorne knows how to kill an angel and tells them to cut Gabriel's heart out. But he's already on his way to the morgue, question mark, in the cop car. But Jerry got to die, so good for him. Now the scene is set for the climax. Climax, they're all gathered. Well, Daggett, Catherine, Grandma, and Mary all gather at Old Woman's Butte for the ceremony to heal her. Gabriel, meanwhile, recruits another dying mortal soul from the hospital. That's Rachel, played by Amanda Plummer. She'll be his new driver. Night falls as the ceremony continues. But who's this? Catherine is visited by none other than the first angel once loved above all others, Lucifer played by Viggo Mortensen. He is here to be scary, make deals, and provide exposition. As long as angels are in heaven, or excuse me, as long as angels in heaven are at war, human souls can't ascend. Gabriel wants the war criminal for a general for his war with the other angels because humans are just as fucked up, if not more, than angels. But angels need to follow orders in order to be fucked up. Lucifer can help because he doesn't want the assholes in heaven to ruin his game. He manhandles Daggett to remind him that he is on the, he has an edge on Gabriel, which is a question of faith. If he can try to test Gabriel's faith, then he might be able to catch him off guard. So they gear up for the final confrontation. Rachel drives Gar- Gabriel up to the butte, 
but Daggett has set up a chainsaw in the car. There's all sorts of car damage. But then he rags on Gabe for not having a soul like a loser. Gabe shrugs it off and Dag tries to run him over with his truck, but is attacked by Rachel. Yeah, Rachel's so finally... fucking soulless in this movie. Yeah, soulless. Soul... He's a soul supremacist. Yeah. So Dag tries to run run Gabe over with the truck. He's attacked by Rachel. Rachel gets to die finally. Gabe interrupts the holy ceremony hut. And the white girl in there shoots him with gun, which doesn't seem very, like, cool for, like, a ceremony like that going on. Like, but I, I don't think this is, I really, really hope this is a set and not, like, this was not filmed on location. It uh, was! All of this stuff was filmed, was filmed on Native American land, uh, and they, they had to uh, make certain promises about the amount of damage they were and weren't going to do. And there's a... A, a story about the, uh, the damage they did and didn't do because they they talked to the folks at the uh, reservation afterwards about it. There's so apparently, according to the DP, they were uh, driving out onto the road one night, coming back from uh, the shoot, and got onto the road and uh, hit an owl with their van while they were out filming this, and the owl exploded across the front of their van. That that tends to happen when owls hit vans. Yeah, and uh, when they were leaving and they were discussing any damage they had done, the uh, chief said, uh, it's not like you killed an owl or anything. Everything everything else, is, everything you've done is fixable. So apparently they did not, not correct you know, him on that one. I, put me in that situation and I would also lie. I would lie through my fucking teeth. Yeah. I mean, that's a rough one. That's a rough one. I have to think about that. That's a question. That's a question that'll baffle Gabriel for sure. Dang, I guess, I don't know, is it owls are definitely a thing. Like, whenever yeah. owls showed up, I don't know the whole story, but I know whenever owls showed up in reservation dogs, they were, like, blurred out. Yeah, owls owls are bad news to a lot of tribes. Um, you know, you can't, they, they look at you as bad. Makes sense. I mean, look, if an owl ever just started, like, staring at me, I'd, I'd be like, oh, I'm about to get fucked up by an owl. I mean, it depends on the kind of staring because of think owls... about the die of owl. Yeah, yeah. Even the little fuckers, they're yes, they'll get me. So cute. They're so cute. They're like cats, but birds. Anyway, so Daggett. Speaking of damage, Daggett tries to run over Gabriel and instead just runs the truck right into the ceremony hut, destroying the wall. But fortunately, it interrupts Gabriel, who is at the time trying to kill Catherine. Daggett jumps out of the car and tries beating Gabriel to death with the crowbar, but is interrupted by Lucifer. Lucifer turns to all the people in the hut, tells them to finish the ritual. And so they do. And he then finishes off Gabriel with a lot of sultry whispering and touching and pulling of hearts out. And so Mary's exercised. The colonel's soul is destroyed by heaven and Gabriel is dragged off by Lucifer, who makes a few... Final overtures to Catherine and Daggett. And then the next day, the sun rises and we're all dust in the wind. Man, we don't know what our role is in God's plan, but at least we can do what we're told, says the bootlegger at the end. So, yeah, that's the no, that's the order that things happen more or less in this movie. What is yeah. hard for me to express here is the performances. Vigo Mortensen and his fucking... 
crouching on things, aggressively whispering at people about how either they can talk to them or he can lay them out and fill their mouth full of their mother's feces. Boy, boy, what a performance. Like, he is in this movie for probably a grand total of five minutes. But, like, if you don't come away from this movie going, like, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) When he first... Because like that first thing is kind of at night and he's crashing and you're like, he's scary. And then the second one that he's in, he comes up to Tommy in the middle of the day. And the way he says, little Tommy Daggett. And I would love listening to your sweet prayers every night. And then you jump into bed. So afraid I was under there. And I was. Like, I was. it's just like, stop it. Yeah, oh, he's stop it. Get away from me. He's Rips him. God, I mean, the whole relationship that he has. With Daggett, the whole I love you more than Jesus. Yeah, even though they bond over knowing and losing God's voice and love. Like, oh, my God. It's so good. He also. It's so so interesting to me that he's not the bad guy of this story either. Like, he just wants what's his. And he's on the side of the good guys, essentially. Because, like, like, his speech about how, like. You know what hell really is, Thomas? It's not lakes of burning oil and chains of ice. Being removed from God's sight, having his word taken from you. It's, it's hard to believe. So hard. I know that better than anyone. And then, like, his explanation for why he's there and why he, like, wants them to lose is he's just like, well, what they want is this world without God. And that's just another hell. And two hells is one too many. And yeah. It's like. Oh my God! Yeah, yeah that's my about shit. His his existence there is like perfect, right? Like he, he he's only there because like they're fucking up his shit, you know? Yeah, yeah, and it also speaks to this kind of interesting to the idea that Lucifer is still doing a job for the, the word, right? Like he can't rule in heaven, so God cannot. Like God is like, all right, you get if you really want to be in charge of something, you can be in charge of this, and you can be in charge of punishing everybody that's bad. And now when, you can judge. I always the, thought of Lucifer as less like a fallen angel and more as like a regional branch manager. <laughs> I think I I love the line that Gabriel gets off about him, which is like, "You're still sulky from your breakup with the boss." It's yeah. Like, oh my God. So good. Yeah. The, the chemistry, it's funny because you have this, what I suppose, like you said, supposed to be romantic interest, Daggett and Catherine, but there's so much more chemistry between Gabriel and Lucifer and Gabriel and everyone, even Gabriel and Simon, like Christopher Walken comes in and he's like kissing everyone's hand and their head. And it's very like everyone, but not to, but crucially, and I can't believe I have to fucking specify it. Not the kids. No, he's, he's just, just not he's touching just, the kids. He's just giving them like black. Con- he's just he's looking just like, in their mouths and letting them play yeah. his trumpet, which like, which is normal Christopher Walken creeping at levels of Christopher Walken creepiness. Yeah, that, that's acceptable margins of creepiness. And also, it's a black canary trumpet, and that's fun and then, yeah. irrelevant. Then I kept is... expecting that to come into play later in the movie, and it never does. No, it's so like Gabriel's role in the apocalypse is that when he plays his trumpet, that will sound the beginning of the apocalypse. So he's just letting these kids play with this fucking apocalypse trumpet of his. And yeah. I was just like, this is, it's so like, it's so crits for walking, but so 
this character of Gabriel that he's like, no, here, you can play with the apocalypse trumpet. Just don't, don't blow it too hard. Yeah. Like, amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't yeah, even pick up on that. And it's really, I didn't even know that part. Well, yeah, there's, it, a, there's a lot of little things that are like biblical, weird little biblical references, like the fact that his name is Thomas and he's always doubting. Uh, or like the one good line that Simon has is that when he first meets Mary, uh, he's like, what's your name? And she's like, oh, my name's Mary. And he's like, of course. What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was yeah. like, okay, all right. I mean, I mean the, the acting there was so good where it was, and it didn't really say much. He was, he was like, I think you could really name? appreciate just the sheer difference in vibes between Simon and Gabriel in the whole, like, fucking putting a finger to the lips. Because after Simon throws Uziel out the window, he, like, he fucking, like, he blows a kiss. Like, he kisses his fingers like it's an action one-liner. And it just gave me the fuck out. Meanwhile, Christopher Walken does his body on fire, and I had to go fan myself. <laughs> Well, That's also, what happens like, when he points at me. They're all like all these love things that like, you know, the, the angels are, are like Simon's big on loving people. And Gabriel says like love, you know, in, in heaven, we're all about love. That's like yeah. what we care about. And then Lucifer is like, love, I don't love you. Like, it's just it's so it's so well delivered. It's, you know what the vibes are? The moves are like Vigo Mortensen is like is bringing like dirt boy aragorn which scientifically impossible to resist yeah like, he's, he's strider this is yeah. this is he is strider yeah yeah christopher walken is bringing you know that tarantino slickness to it and honestly fucking eric stoltz and simon looks like he should be arguing star wars in a clerk's movie yeah, kind of. I mean, he does have the pretty eyes, and he's I the, think he's the long hair really. and the goatee is a combo that's doing him no favors. That's yeah, true. Yeah, and and the color of the hair is is so like weird and artificial and and eighties, and I don't know. Notice how I'm not bringing a ginger no souls joke into it, even though that would be plot appropriate. <sighs> but I'm better than that. I know. I know you're better than that. I appreciate you for that. I think we're at our limit of South Park references tonight anyway. <laughs> I think I've done more in this episode than I have the entire like years we've been doing this show. I think I will say I do like the idea when the devil first shows up in South Park. I really did like that character of the devil where he set everybody up to bet on him in the uh, the punching match. Oh, and then through the fight to Jesus, yes. And then he fucking like through the match just fuck with everybody and i was like yeah. well i'll always love the episode about mobile games which came out while i was the mobile game designer and just fucking speaking of tearing someone's heart out of their chest <laughs> i will always love when they summon the devil so the devil can just explain the psychology and science behind gambling addictions i didn't see that one but it's um great and it really fucking calls to task how utterly toxic and antithetical to good game design the entire free-to-play model is and just how what fucking e truly evil addiction machines most free-to-play mobile games are i kind of dig that though like I, oh it's I'm one of their best it. it's one of their best episodes ever okay good i kind of came I'm out like while i was working on those evil evil addiction machines 
at least that's validating, like in a way where you're like, oh, I know I there's something wrong here. Oh, someone else knows. Okay. <laughs> just, yeah. just Leonardo DiCaprio gif. Yeah. I mean, living in Silicon Valley was crazy because like, and then they put Silicon Valley show comes out and it's like, what a bunch of scrappy technology optimists who are going to make a startup and get rich and change the world. And I'm like, oh no, you, <laughs> you're also falling for this bullshit. Three years of living in Silicon Valley. At every point, I felt like I was one of the bad guys in that Matt Damon Elysium movie where all the rich people lived in space. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, this place is bad. We're bad. I need to do something more ethical, which is why I went to business school. But now you're writing good comics. Yes. That you wrote and, and, and books. And those and books not, are out now. Yay. And not <laughs> shitty mobile games. Yes. There you go. Like, maybe we don't understand the plan, but at least we can do our part in it. God, my old game company was created by someone literally from Bain Capital, Mitt Romney's old venture capital firm. Jesus. Is that where Bain came from? That would be um, great. That would be great, but I feel like knowing Chuck Dixon, he would have made it a hero in that case. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> so... There's a lot. We talked a little bit about the progressive politics and a lot of the like huge missteps that this movie made. And I want to start out with the Native American stuff because I think that's the first thing we mentioned that then it's other than the child kissing. And that's the first thing it's, I think we should finish here. I mean, it's um, like it's there, but like it's not like any of the Native American characters like are characters. It's not like these are people with agency. These are just like mystical MacGuffin people. Yeah. And so I don't see why it's important to have them be Native Americans. I mean, it's uh, maybe to like, they established that the things that would be like righteous heroes in Christian mythology are the bad guys of this movie. Like, yeah. angels are not there to help them, angels are bad. Like, that is. Sort of the what baseline I, of this movie is that even the good angels, that their function is to kill people. Like, that's what they do. Oh, yeah. Like, he like, says, yeah, you know, like, the point where he says, if you, would you want to see an angel? Because, like, they don't come down here to do good stuff. Like, God, they come down here to kill people. One line yeah. I have where it's like, loving God with one wing always dipped in blood. What, <laughs> I, will, what I will say, a little point I give it, a credit I give it for for the use of uh, Native American mythology and imagery is, and you know, I complained about this when we were doing our evil episode, how it was very like, no, actually only Catholic Catholic dogma is correct. And that is the true thing. So I do appreciate that by having that Native element, by having their traditions, their rituals, and showing that being effective and valid it did help it escape this kind of, we're saying Judeo-Christian is the one, yeah, fucking Judeo-Christian, hate that term. We're saying Christian mythology is the yeah. one true mythology. So I do appreciate it using that to kind of avoid that pitfall. So I, a, sil a silver lining around it. Yeah, yeah and it's, it's, but it's a very like 80s representation, right? Yes, it's like extreme. Native Americans are good. Dot, yeah, dot, dot. The, they're not like people yeah. per se but they're like a holy force that's more holy because we the people telling the story white people don't understand Again, what 
their their ceremonies are about. So I could have done a whole fucking film of this old white man war criminal inside the body of this native girl would have been absolutely an insane 90s movie. I mean, it's the 90s was not prepared to have that conversation. No, like, which is why I wanted them to do it anyway, because it would be the most bonkers ass fucking film nowadays. I mean, it was already pretty bonkers. Um, bonkers ass movie. I wish, I do wish I, that there was. I, just, I don't think I recommend it, but I do love it. There's a, the fetishization, I think is the biggest, like, yeah. I mean, it's, it's that issue. Yeah. yeah. But I really do like the idea of like, there's a, this Native Americans doing a ceremony and then a bunch of angels show up and they're like, Okay, um, can we finish, please? Because they like they don't mean shit to these people. Like that's a then that's kind of how I see. It has a really oh. kind of like American godsy kind of feel of like yeah, you know, there's yeah, all these mythologies yeah. are sort of going on at the same time. Like it's the believing that gives things power, but like you know, there's yeah. there's a version of the story where it is properly from a native perspective, and you almost have a metaphor of angels as colonialism. Yeah, and there's there's some pretty interesting work that discusses that has sort of that allegorical story where it's gods of the people that are invading, fighting the gods of the people who are being invaded, and that's sort of that is happening. And I'm always interested in that because it's just a, interesting. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. yeah. I did. Uh, <laughs> big, I did say to Alicia when we were watching this that uh, Lucifer turning into a flock of crows to leave the Native American reservation is appropriation. They, they yes, were doves. 100%. No, they're not doves. Not they were Lucifer. Doves. No, not Lucifer. Lucifer turned into doves. Lucifer did not turn into doves. He absolutely turned into doves. Yeah, look at that, look at that screenshot. Look at I that. think Lucifer turned into seagulls. They were absolutely doves. Lucifer turns into beach trash bird. He may be turning into crows and doves, but... Birds are used That's to symbolize so the angels. For example, Gabriel perches on a bench and looks exactly like a bird in a silhouette. Lucifer explodes into crows when departing early. Uh, uh, that was an effect. Dog, but, the, yeah. I feel like we need to highlight the fucking special effect of Corey Stoltz's face, quote unquote, on fire. Do we? Though, I mean, I don't have any witty commentary over it other than just, yep, that... Sure was a special that was a very special effect. It was very very special effect. The other special effect that is that was only there for like a split second of the movie was the soul leaving Mary, which was like this really kind of weird, uncanny X Files y very uncanny shot. valley. Yeah, where her she was like her body was bloated as if she was like I didn't like that. I, uh, I, the glowing was fine. I didn't need the bloatedness. Yeah, the like she was trying to ha like lay an egg through her face or something like that. Like it was just really, really weird and uncomfortable. Like a lot of the kids. I dislike how accurate that description it's, is. It's so much stuff happening in the last like five minutes of this movie that like yeah like I was I didn't even talk about that like with Lucifer leaves. We talked about that line earlier of him hiding under the bed, but that like when he's leaving. He's trying to get Thomas to go with him. And Thomas is like, I have my soul. What do you have, angel? And he's like, leave the light on, Thomas. And yeah. like, leaves on that light. I was like, oh, that's so good. Yeah. It's like, like, hey, bugger, I'm always there. I'm always going to be there. Yeah. And it's funny because I was just, I was thinking about 
the whole idea of the devil being the one who is still there, who talks to people all the time. God doesn't talk to everybody all the time. There's a lot of people who ask God questions and he's silent. But the devil will always be there. Because you always know Christmas. the wrong thing. Yeah. I, I do love uh, it. Now, I do want to ask you guys, given that we did talk about the similarities with dogma, in terms of like, given how much Gabriel and Bartleby and Dogma have like the same motivations, this kind of hating God's being driven into this insane rage from just God's favor of humanity. Which do you think did the motivation better? Like, which ones do you think kind of really just like sold, like sold it? I feel I like they spent a lot more time focusing on the motivation and dogma. They, they do. Yeah. It's almost they like do. passing in this. That he's just like, no, I'm, no I we fucking don't hate really... that guy. You're right. I we think don't... we see Gabriel fully formed, whereas we actually get to see Bartleby develop into that this villain in Dogma. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And you know, and, and Dogma's more of a character study where I mean Gabriel, like Christopher Walken gives that character, I think, a lot more than was in the script. Oh, hundred percent. Oh my yeah, even when though, he's just like, yelling, Stop, stop the, the car. <laughs> That's my walk-in impersonation, apparently. I I apologize to everybody. He's putting his entire walk-a-see into it. He really fucking calls Thomas a pest. Oh, I love it. Like, because Thomas shoots his his other guy, and he's like, pest? You know how hard it is to get one of those? I was like, oh, my God. Like, that line could have just been thrown away but he's just christopher walken Walken, is there for every line christopher walken and vigo mortensen elevate the material so hard and mortensen again like he doesn't have much screen time but god again we talked about like margot kidder in black christmas like when she's on screen you can't look away yeah when vigo mortensen is on screen you're not looking at your phone. You're not checking email. You are fucking glued to Vigo Morrison. It's so funny because Christopher Walken, every line, he gives it a little extra juice. He goes a little hard on it. And Vigo Morrison whispers everything yeah. he says. Yeah. He's just like, the only line that he says loud is like, I love you. I love you more than Jesus. Like, he's desperately trying to get him to come with him. But he's not even, like, he's like hissing that. He's like hissing it. Like, that's like, like shrieks almost. Like, yeah. Well, he it, makes like a crazy noise. Like he's making weird noises. And then he's like, he's, you don't really and, hear him without the subtitles, but he's like, a, it's like an animal sound that he's making, but it's not like a scream. It's like, a, you know, it's like he's, he's like, Brody. Yeah. Yeah. And he never, like, the only time he makes a loud noise is when he roars at his little demon servant who's just there. Like, who is he? I don't know. Who cares? He's a demon. He's a little demon friend. Yeah. Yeah, I think, like, not great on the, the racial stuff, obviously. On yeah. the, I would say on the feminism side, unlike kissing little girl, which is problematic, Virginia Madsen's character doesn't have to have a love interest. That is a nice thing. She also yeah. ultimately doesn't do much in the movie. Um, yeah. You there? Yeah, that's the thing. Like, normally, I'd be like, oh, I like how she wasn't the love interest, but for this role i'm like well if she was the love interest at least she would have done something probably yeah the the thing that bothers me i think the most about this and i mean for whatever it's worth is that they say they make a point of saying that angels have both male and female sex organs but they cast all the angels as male so like all the angels are played by male actors you know yeah 
And then they could have easily, I mean, honestly, that scene probably would have been less creepy if Simon had been a, you know, an actress instead of Eric Stoltz. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, that would have been cool. And I think that that's something that definitely was well addressed in movies like Constantine and in Sandman and stuff like that, where we have, oh, and we're going to be talking so much about the pure fucking gender goals that is Tilda Swinton and Constantine. Yeah. Oh, I guess yeah. like the real problem with the prophecy is we didn't have Tilda Swinton yet, you know? Yeah. Um, <laughs> it would have been, we would have been there if it was just, if we just had figured just, out. If you're looking for androgynous angels, oh, just you wait, they're coming. Yeah. Just go back. And, and I believe it's Gabriel. I believe. It I is believe Gabriel. Tilda Swinton yeah. is playing. Yeah, it's Gabriel He's playing Gabriel. Um, oh. So good. And yeah, so like, just real quick with the the Native American thing, I just wanted to to wrap that up because Yazbat, and it could have been interesting if it they went a little bit more of an American gods brought with it, which they didn't. But I do think that they're you know this is a stepping stone. This movie gave us a lot of material that we would build on with like Good Omens. Movie has a lot of things in it that could have been great. Yeah, it ended up being sort of. Yeah, there's there's a lot of genetic material that it shares with the Neil Gaiman stuff that has now been updated and developed a lot more with time, you know. And I think this is definitely a movie that this is trying to be Neil Gaiman before it has the benefit of Sandman being out yet. Yeah, yeah, like it's 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 definitely like in that Neil Gaiman range, but they still haven't figured out how to like break out of the Highlander. Frank, yeah, frankly, it's Neil Gaiman by way of Highlander. Like, yeah, it's, it it still f- has that weird '80s sci-fi gunk on it. Yeah, um, it's yeah, it's it's just not quite there. And I mean, and to that end, there's not really any interesting discussion of of mental health or mental illness or anything in this. Like, I mean, the, the, this, you know, the, the bad guy is just evil. Like, yeah, it doesn't like it's very on this good and evil kick that's the only explanation for anybody being who they are is the right or good or evil um, well i do want to talk about jerry because he is very much is it, it is basically text that he is trying to end his own life or is he is he's dying by suicide essentially oh yeah and the fact that they put jerry kind of on the same level of sympathy as rachel i think is honestly a little bit less judgmental than it really could have been in terms yeah. of you know like they make jerry a little more comedic rachel is really pathetic but like rachel is still fresh off of being revived from terminal cancer and, and this like yeah well she also she it seems like she had she was almost in the light you know she was sitting at the little cafe talking about the light and how bright it was and Jerry wasn't quite there yet. Jerry was um, just waiting. And then Gabriel showed up at the last moment and just kind of animated Jerry's corpse a little bit longer. Whereas Rachel was had her fingertips on salvation and was torn away by yeah. Gabriel. One of the reasons why she's like so upset. But yeah, it, it doesn't really say much more than that. And some of the future prophecy movies will also pick up on a little bit of that when with the way that Gabriel solicits these really doesn't really solicit he recruits he is, is, enslaves the the souls of the dying and 
it is part of how just monstrous he is. Yeah, they, I think it's interesting the amount of like Christian mythology stuff that's in Gabriel's like power set. And that like, they also, they also talk about in the Bible, I think Gabriel being so, so bright, so startling. So like, I guess, you know, to some extent terrifying in that, you know, he can cause people to pass out, to fall away, that sort of thing. And that's like something they turn into like a power in the shows or in the movie is, you know, he just people knocks them over, knocks them out. And, you know, we, we get the little bit with the trumpet, we get the knowing people's names and things like that, that they really make him a super villain in this movie. Yeah. And then oh, yeah. he I also mean, has, and he has a swagger. Presence. He's got that swagger and charm of a super villain. And he's also the way that he like attracts the children. You know, I think that they're supposed to be like, if that it is all, this is a part of that lore that is, I think, also referenced in the film Michael with John Travolta. That women and children sort of are easy, like, or and men as well, but like there's a charisma that comes with and a purity, essentially, as soulless as it is. There, there is a point in this movie also where somebody has to explain to somebody else who Gabriel is. And I was like, he's like big three angels. Like, if you know any angels, big four. It's like, I, w- I mean, I would say him, Lucifer, and Michael are the ones that people know. Oh, well, you, there's also like the four cardinal directions, the four angels of the four cardinal directions, which also. Yeah, it's like uh, Uriel and. Uriel, Michael, Gabriel, and Raphael. Yeah. And, so yeah, uh, like Raphael and, and Uriel, I think, are slightly less well known. They don't get name checked in the Bible the way that the other three do. At least no not other the, angels have, yeah. have, have. Well, Michael has. Michael, yeah, Michael Gabriel. Raphael has. Are we counting Lucifer in that? Is Lucifer counting as an angel? I mean, I I mean, he counts as an angel, but he's a different situation than like the four cardinal angels. And I can go into that, but I'm not going to. And then there's Um, Clarence. Everybody knows Clarence. Want a Wolverine (laughs) Ghost Rider amalgam named Beelzebub? I mean, I'm. And I know I've made that joke before, but I still want it. I mean that's that's, got it. that's uh take a second. That's, take a second. that's <laughs> Nightcrawling Wolverine's kid. This Beelzebub. Hey, Beelzebub. All right. Okay. So is we this have... movie feminist? Uh, not really. It's no. not actively no. not feminist. It's not misogynist. It's... Yeah, it's not yeah. misogynist. Mary does shoot Gabriel. Okay. I... Ma- fucking Colonel Mary just fucking six in the like two in the dime ring on Gabriel. Oh, Colonel Mary, best character in the movie. Yeah, class stuff is interesting. There's kind of some stuff on class, mostly just sort of American dystopian class that like this chimney rock that they're at here is like used to be a whole bunch of people live there. They everybody worked at the copper mine, closed down. Everybody left except for the people who couldn't afford to leave. And that's like why she teaches a whole school full of children at the same time. Yeah, all the grades. That's just who's left. Yeah, um, and it's a very diverse set of students. She's also like the other thing she's doing in the very beginning is teaching biblical hymns to Native American kids. Yeah, that would, that gave me pause. That's yeah. 
that's a whole i mean i think that they were trying to do it for it just kind of set the scene in the movie because it's school and all that kind of stuff but that's i mean that does singing at the funeral for this evil dude um, was it the same? I thought those were se- I thought those were separate things that were happening at the same time. Yeah, I they were both they were happening separate. in the church. I don't know. I thought that the choir was happening. He asks later if she went to his funeral, and he's like, "Everybody, everybody went." There's, you know, there's a small town. Um, but he hated children. Like he hated children. So he wasn't actively he interacting with the children. That's true. They was dead. They may have been yeah. doing that to spite him. Good for them. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I don't know. Uh, absolutely other than of uh, lucifer's general vibe there's nothing even hinted at lgbtqia in this movie in fact the stuff that is like adjacent is the like intersex stuff with the angels and they do a terrible job that's bad that's bad the whole like oh you can be impotent frigid at the same time they also use the h slur so watch out for that yeah, that so was real it, Andrew Dice Clay level humor on that bit. Like, yeah, it really is. The humor isn't anything more advanced than at like the same time. Oh, like, intersex he, yeah, people. Yeah, they straight up do like an H. <laughs> like, oh, no, intersex no. people, they're different than you. Isn't that weird? That's all they got. Yeah. Yeah. But, well, the way that the angels were very sensual with each other was notable. I don't know if it's saying anything. But I do think it's notable the way that every time an angel interacted with another angel, they were like hugging and kissing a lot. Like there was Unless a lot they of were football tackling each other through a window. That's true. But then like that's a were, kind like... of hug. Like I think sure. that every time an angel like finished off another angel, so to speak, or um, <laughs> every time an angel like there was always some kind I, of I was doing from that one. Uh, Nobody, because this movie still doesn't have the budget for it. Falling star. Yeah, so they're, the angels are very sensual with each other. Finishing I, off the angel, that's what Jerry's for. No, the angels, an angel has to finish off an angel. That seems to be, or you have to cut their heart out, but maybe that's just like a euphemism. The sheriff of Nottingham could have done it. No, yeah. I mean, it seemed pretty literally that you have to literally cut out the heart to kill them. It yeah. seems like and if the you're ru- Lucifer, fucking eat it in front yeah, of them afterwards. I don't think that was necessary. I think he just wanted, he was just A, hungry, mm-hmm. and B, wanted to freak him the fuck Lucifer, out. Lucifer noted for being extra. Just yeah. historically, that's sort rules, of his thing. Uh, I think the rules are, and the movie seems a little inconsistent about it, is that like they have some powers, <laughs> but not all powers. And they're mortal when they're on Earth, but they can only be killed by cutting out the heart. Yeah. yeah this whole plot, hangs on gabriel not just murdering people like he can just straight up murder everybody who's plot relevant in this movie at various points he shows that he is able and willing to do so he just doesn't yeah you know because early on in the movie he bumps into everybody he knows who thomas is he knows that thomas is involved in all of this he could just snap his neck and go on about his life ultimately like we're not given a reason why he doesn't it's just you know because the plot demands that he doesn't yeah that he you know that'd be boring yeah he can set he can set dead bodies on fire by snapping and putting his finger to his lips or whatever so yeah yeah and ultimately plot wise that's not great but like i don't know the, the power stuff is pretty inconsistent here i guess i guess that's the one thing that he knows is we'll never understand why 
That is the nice little catch 22 that we have is that, you know, we're not supposed to understand. So we don't have to tell a story that's coherent, which, you Uh, know, we do, though. Um, uh, With that in mind, do we recommend this film? Should people watch this film? I, I do to certain people, of course. And, you know, again, I would, I would definitely lay out the like, it's not good with these things. But especially if someone is friends with me and they're like, Angels and Demons and Christopher Walken. And I'm like, boy, have I got something for you. And Viggo Mortensen. I think if you just fast forwarded through the first half hour of this movie, it would be significantly better. Because like, we talked about pacing. Boy, this movie starts off with a monologue that won't be redressed until an hour into the movie. Well, And then it starts out with a flashback. Yeah. The end, the end captures fucking nonsense, too. You know what this would have been is a really good episode of The X-Files. Or just evil. Replace, or evil. Just replace Doggett with, and Catherine with Mulder and Scully. And, you know, you don't necessarily, I mean, The X-Files did some Native American appropriation, you know. The, the fucking Daggett's last narration is essentially like, we're humans because we have souls. And we have souls because we're human. This is very deep. Yeah, if you could just end. cut most of the humans out of this movie, it would be much better. So it, you were saying that this is like a Transformers or Godzilla movie. Yeah, it's. There's like, I, I enjoyed this movie. I do not think it's a good movie. I think there Same. are a couple of really good performances, and like on several like technical levels, it's not a good movie, including like. Like we were saying, they were clearly low on budget toward the end of this. Like the film quality is pretty rough. There's some some rough cuts. There's at least one helicopter shot where the camera is doing this as it's going around the bluff toward the end. I was yeah. just like, you guys putting this thing together with with glue and tape at the end. Like this is th- I would not recommend this movie, but I do deeply love this film. So if you've gone through this whole episode. And you think this trash is like your treasure, you're gonna have a great time. To everyone else, it's trash. I mean, yeah, I, I would some, say there, there are it's some very sparkly trash at times, but YouTube has some like clip compilations of Christopher Walken yeah. and Viggo Mortensen in this. There like, you go. It's almost yeah. better to just go ahead and do that and not waste that first half hour. That they're... is what I would recommend. Yeah. Because they're that should not be missed. They are incredible in this movie. The movie itself, really. Yeah, just because you go to a Taco Bell doesn't mean you can't just order a Baja Blast. Like, Christopher Walken is the Baja Blast of this movie, and Viggo Mortensen is the Baja Blast freeze. I uh, thank you for coming to my TED Talk. So, recommendations? I would recommend a movie that we are going to be covering pretty soon and that would be constantine jeremy yeah constantine is is similar in a lot of ways so i'm going to recommend something that isn't entirely related but uh when i was watching this movie they started talking about the kabbalah for a second i was like hey two kabbalahs in in like 24 hours of watching movies uh because i watched the a new horror film attachment attachment is on uh shutter right now so i I, I watched it there this movie something they do mention the Kohanim and the Levites. And I'm like, damn, never thought I'd see those concepts even mentioned in one of these movies. So yeah, that's something. Attachment 
I just watched earlier this week. It's one of the like better reviewed horror movies of the last year. It's on Shutter right now. It is it is about two women who meet up. One is a, a like a failed Dutch actress who runs into this girl who's like a, a she's a English Jewish grad student who is you know in was in the country studying stuff, and they start a really like cute relationship. That the two leads in this have like incredible chemistry they're very cute together and like i was like first 15 minutes of this i was like i'm incredibly invested in these two and i know that's horrible because it's a horror movie and some some bad shit's about to happen and it does but like the dude's girl has a seizure and, and ends up breaking her leg in the process and they have to like she decides to move back with her to britain to to the Jewish girl's mother's house and there is clearly something going on there she's in this very like very intense religious community, even though like the girl that she's dating is, is clearly not as religious, but there's like stuff going on. The floorboards are creaking at night and there's a candle that keeps getting mysteriously lit and relit. And, you know, the, the mother is up to something and it's unclear what it is for most of the movie, but like, it's sort of like, it has a lot to do with Jewish mysticism. Like I said, the Kabbalah comes up and of course. The lead, who is who is Dutch, I think, is like, oh, like, like Madonna, and of course, the, the rabbi who she's talking to is like, no, not like Madonna, like the Kabbalah, like seriously. So, like, it's it's really interesting. It's it's really well done. It's not particularly scary, but it is, you know, it uses a lot of the sort of horror trappings, and it has some really intense scenes. But it's it's really interesting and really really good. Highly recommended. What's a lot of intentionally i watched a lot of trash horrors movies to start off this scary movie month but uh i i hit this one in the last week and i i watched this one and last night i watched another really good one it's like back to back it's like oh good finally i've gotten away from the friday the 13th movies that's why i started out the month that's oh my god me too Oh my God. But I, that one's been on my list. It's good to know that it's cool because I've been thinking about it and I keep being like, oh, this is, this looks like it's sad. You know, I assume it is, but uh, I'm still, I'm still into it. Um, I mean, it's, it's definitely not happy. All, yeah, it's not, all, it's not all smiles, but it is, and definitely say it's worth watching and it is like quality queer representation. The other one I just watched, which I'm sure we'll talk about at some point, is Medusa, which is also on Shudder. As a Brazilian film and is incredible, but does have some hate cramming in it. So watch out for that. It is about a, a group of hyper Christian girls living in, in Brazil who decide to put on masks and form a gang where they go around and beat up women for being home wreckers and shit like that at night. So it is well deeply horrifying. Oh, though. that's um hmm. yeah, it's yeah, it is rough. That sounds it is like a, a horror movie in, in a way that almost only documentaries are horrifying. Oh, um, dear. But yeah, it's a lot of like super right wing, like, but oh, I can actually kind of see this happening in yeah. Brazil really this bad, too. It's like I can see I can oh, no. see this happening in America. Also, like I, I do know, you know, there's, there's a lot of that in Brazil, but it, I think it really parallels a lot of the stuff that's been going on post the last election with Brazil as well in an interesting and prophetic kind of way. Yeah. Well, if you want something that is also about angels and demons, sort of, 
And I say sort of because... Is this the movie Angels and Demons from the, no. the, the Da Vinci Code series? No, this is a movie from the 70s called The Visitor. This movie is bananas. So if you watch your good movies and you need like some weird dumb movie to kind of cleanse the palate that's like mostly vibes and weird ass imagery, The Visitor is that. Also, it frames the character who represents God in this scenario with this like Shaft-like theme song. And it's incredible. And also the devil is a little girl. So yeah, and it's very like Italian horror. So check that one out. It's from the 70s called The Visitor. Uh, has Lance Henriksen in it. I was going to say, um, is this the one with Lance Henriksen, Glenn yes. Ford, and John Huston? Yes, what yes. A, what a cast. Yeah, yeah, it's it's bananas. Sam Peckinpah, Jesus. Huh? Shelly Winters. So, um, too. good lord. Yeah, it's got angels, sort of. It's got birds. It's got, it's got birds. It's got scary little girls. Yeah. Hitchcock pitching his new, newest movie. It's got, bir- it's got birds. I will also recommend one more thing, and that's the credit song at the end of this movie, which is so fucking 90s. Oh my God. Uh, it is breaking down by Skid Row. I don't yes. know if y'all stayed for the credits, but. This was a song that could only have been made in 1995. Oh, yeah. I was surprised it wasn't, like, live. Right? Or fucking, <laughs> e- fucking Everclear. Listen, that been too much. I watched Fernie vs. Jason this last week, and that credit song is hardcore, like, new metal bullshit. Oh, no. Did they like, go, oh, no. I haven't seen Fernie vs. Jason. I'm actually starting to get through the uh, Friday the 13th movies. I will say... If you watch Friday the 13th, and we'll probably talk about it eventually, Friday the 13th, the final chapter, number four, is a film. Like, it's actually a film with characters that I care about. Sort with Corey. Of. With Corey Feldman. Yep. We could probably do a whole versus month of, like, Freddy vs. Jason, Alien vs. Predator, Godzilla vs. Kong. Do they have, does Freddy vs. Jason have, oh shit, what's his name? Freddy? No. Yeah, they, they got Freddy. I know I know Freddy. They got Jason, I was, too. Oh, so, and they got Jason. But what's the actor that's in the four, uh, not, Friday 13th, four, that's in everything, and he is... Uh, Paul he Rudd? Plays, no. Um, no, Paul Rudd was in Halloween. That's right. Marty McFly's dad. Oh, John Glover. No. Um, Willard. He's in American Gods. He's in the Game of the Tour. I'll just use the internet. Crispin Glover. Crispin Glover. Yes. I had the last name. Oh, yes. no, I don't think so. Yeah. Yes, um, Glover. Is, no, it, I'm looking it up. It is Crispin Glover. I can say that with it's, 100% yeah. certainty. Freddy vs. Jason has Jason Ritter in it. Huh. Yeah, it's, it is a, a film. It is like conceptually the beginning of this movie. I was like, yeah, okay. And then the further I got into it, I was like, nope, <laughs> nope, you missed it. Are you talking about Freddy versus Jason? Yeah. Oh. The pro- oh. Okay, not the prophecy. Well, I mean the prophecy yeah. too. But... Yeah, uh, yeah, the prophecy too. But uh, yes, I have watched all of the Friday the 13th films now. I will say this. Four, six, and ten. I Five, probably the worst of the series. But six is like the fat shittiest one. Seven is weird. Seven is like 
they decided they were going to do Jason versus Carrie, but they couldn't get the rights to Carrie. I've read that eight, comic. I, I, I just recently watched eight, nine, and ten. Eight is takes Manhattan. It's bad. It's also mm. very long. It's like eight hours long. <laughs> nine is goes to hell again, like takes Manhattan, not what it says on the ten. And then ten is what it says on the ten because ten is Jason in space. Yes, um, Jason I want to watch Jason X so fucking Jason bad. X is, One is day we will cover dumb, Jason X on this knows podcast. One day we will cover it, and it will be a glorious day, and I will probably be drinking during that show. Oh, yeah. One one final recommendation, if you want to see a movie that is absolutely idiotic, dumb, but is carried by one performance that also has hell about it, I just watched Hellraiser Bloodline in its entirety for the first time, I think, ever. Doug Bradley. You're the first person to ever watch the whole thing. Yeah, well, I, I mean... The first time I've seen the whole thing, I've seen piece, bits and pieces of it, like on Cinemax back in the day, but it's better than hell on earth. Let me tell you what. Uh, but yeah, Doug Bradley is, bless, bless this angel baby heart. Such a good actor. <laughs> Everything about that movie is such shit. Except the yeah. idea of the fucking space part. The space part, if they only did like, if they only combined it with event horizon and like got a good special effects team it could have done it it could have happened i mean we should yeah, say uh, do you guys want to do the whole uh, outro let me know where they can find your stuff or megamoth.net mega underscore moth instagram megamoth on patreon twitter and blue sky you can yeah you can find me a uh, website blue sky instagram all at bencon comics you can pick up l campbell wins their weekend out in bookstores now and uh when is this episode going to be dropping? This will be the first episode of December. All right, then. Uh, in just a couple weeks, uh, December 14th, Captain Laserhawk, a Blood Dragon remix, the manga comes out. So nice. if you haven't uh, seen it on Netflix, make sure to catch up with that. And then uh, check out the manga for more of Captain Laserhawk's story. Nice. Uh, yeah, as for me... I am at jrome 58 on Twitter and Tumblr. I am, or no, I'm jrome 58 on Twitter and Instagram. Jeremy Whitley on Blue Sky and Tumblr. I fixed my website, so it's jeremywhitley.com. It actually is like usable and stuff now. So go go look at it, use it, something, order a book. Not for me, but I have links. Christmas is coming up. Yeah, Christmas is coming up. Speaking of which... School Anika, for Extraterrestrial Girls, book two, out now. Me and Jamie Noguchi. Uh, if you love us, you'll you'll go buy it. Put that on you. Yeah, uh, and as for, the, as for the podcast, you can follow us here. You can follow us on Patreon. You can check out our website at transistor.fm slash progressively horrified. And uh, yeah, you can rate and review us wherever you're listening to this right now. We'd really appreciate it. It helps more people find the show because it gets recommended to them and all that. Like Thank you, friend. as always, to Emily and Ben for joining me here tonight to talk about these good, good, bad, bad angels. Happy to be here. I'm always happy to talk about these good, bad angels. Yeah, and, uh, you know, we've got one Satan down for our uh, holiday Satan Spectacular here. Satan so, Claus. Mortensen, thumbs up. Great, great Satan. Next week, we'll be talking about the Witches of Eastwick and Jack Nicholson's Satan. So be ready oh, for that. If anybody yes. knows how to choose scenery, it's that man. Oh, my oh, God. Jack Nicholson devil. 
Yes. So good. All right. Well, we will see you next week. And until then, stay horrified. <laughs>